You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 12. Patrick was born in Denver, Colorado, USA. He studied at Florida State University and graduated summa cum laude with a degree in communications. He also attended law school at New York University, where he graduated with a Juris Doctorate degree after serving on the school's prestigious law review publication. Known for his willingness to take the camera into areas others would prefer not go, Patrick has captured fascinating images of Yemeni tribal areas, the heart of the Congo, Somaliland, and underneath Antarctic icebergs, to name a few. He recently finished filming for the BBC's Blue Planet 2, and his work has been featured numerous times in National Geographic. His other clients include Emirates Airlines, the Government of Djibouti, the Government of Sri Lanka, Borderlands, and a host of other private individuals and companies. Patrick was at the forefront of exploration and documentation of the blue whales of Sri Lanka and the killer whale migration to Iceland and Norway. He is an avid skydiver, scuba diver, hang glider pilot, and caver, and possesses an enthusiastic willingness to explore and document any location. Patrick has lived in Cairns, Australia, London, England, Florence, Italy, and several states across America. He is currently based in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Just a quick disclaimer about this episode. Throughout the interview with Patrick, I kept referring to Planet Earth 2 instead of Blue Planet 2, which Patrick's footage is actually part of. I have no idea why I did that, but I did, so apologies up front. Hey Patrick, thanks so much for taking time out to be on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. This is all about inspiring uh, a new generation of filmmakers to follow their passion and uh, make great content. So I, I chatted with you just the other day and was super inspired by your story and, um, and really wanted to get you on the podcast just so you could, you know, tell us about your progression through uh, your life and your career and, and where it's got you now. It, it's incredible. So can you just give me a little bit of um, a background on you know, what you were doing before you did anything with wildlife and really how, how it progressed into that. Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate the interest in my story. It's a little bit outside the box. I sort of came into the industry from, from a bit of a different angle. Uh, not, not so dissimilar from yourself, actually. Um, so, you know, I'm happy to, uh, to be on the program and to hopefully inspire some others to, uh, to follow their dreams and do the things that they love. Um, I had, from the time I was a, a young child, I was really interested in the outdoors and in nature. I wasn't one of these kids who sat around and played video games all day. I was I was always outside, but uh, you know I, I never thought of it as a as a career um, at the beginning. And then I was 17, I guess, and I had been to the Smithsonian Museum in in Washington D.C. And in, in the course of walking through the Smithsonian, I saw this this life-size replica of a blue whale as I was walking through the, the Sea of Life exhibit. And I'll, I'll never forget that moment. I came around the corner and saw this, this life-size replica hanging from the ceiling. And, and I just thought, you know, that must be larger than real life. Surely that's not an, an actual animal that, that's alive today. And, and as I went into the room, there were two plaques at the bottom. And, and one said, 
life-size replica of a, of a blue whale and it had uh, a bunch of dinosaurs on the diagram along with the blue whale and it showed that the blue whale was the biggest animal to ever inhabit the planet that it was bigger than any dinosaur that that ever existed and then the next plaque over was it a timeline of life on earth and it showed from single cell organisms all the way out to to humans and to modern day and on that that timeline there was a small sliver towards the end that said this is how long we think blue whales have been on the planet and then way at the very very end there was a fingernail sized sliver that that said this is how long we think humans have been on the planet and i just remember thinking that is the most incredible stroke of luck that we are on the planet at the same time as the biggest animal to ever inhabit the planet as far as we know it's not some some long extinct dinosaur right it's it's a blue whale and it, and it's something that you could go out in the ocean and actually see for yourself if you put in the, the time and effort. Uh, and it just, it always stuck in my mind from that day that I've, I've got to do this. At some point, I've got to get out there and, and see one of these animals in their natural environment. And it, uh, it maybe I'm dating myself a bit here. It wasn't at a time when you could just Google find blue whales and, and go out and do it. It was sort of the early days of the internet and it required a lot of research and, and books and, and um, you know, trying to figure this out. So, that was an expensive quest to go out and find blue whales in their natural environment, and I and I went to lots of different places uh, all while I was in college. Um, I knew it was a passion of mine, but I you know it was it was a hard way to to find how can I make a living uh, following blue whales around the world and, and following that quest. And so so I decided what I would do is is go into to another profession, hopefully where I could not be miserable, uh, still have some time off and, and, and make a decent living while while pursuing these other goals at the same time. And so uh, I went into law, uh, which was couldn't have been more different than, than wildlife, but I spent, uh, I spent several years as a lawyer, uh, worked hard, saved money, uh, made some, some investments along the way, but really with the goal in mind of always, uh, you know, getting out of the nine to five as soon as possible in life and, and spending as much time as I could out in nature and out in wildlife. And, and so yeah, through that, that passion, I would take my camera with me on my trips and I would, I would travel and, and look for places in the world, um, where I could find lots of wildlife, but, but blue whales was a real focus. And, and yeah, after a decade of, of trial and error, Antarctica, the Azores, the Yucatan, Baja, finally had some really good encounters with blue whales back in uh, in 2001 off the off the south coast of Sri Lanka, and and those experiences really just set me on a course for uh, for a big career change from from leaving the law and then doing doing a little bit of wildlife filmmaking and uh, and working with research teams in different parts of the world to, to assist them in, in their research. And yeah, it's kind of taken off from there. T today, in fact, was a big day for me. They released the, the trailer for, for Blue Planet 2 from the BBC, which had uh, five or six of my video clips in it. So I was quite happy to see that for for a guy with very little formal training and a, and a background in law to now have some footage in in what's you know one of the biggest blue chip documentaries was was really gratifying so yeah it's been a, a non-traditional journey but I'm, I'm happy to be where i am today thankfully i mean it's incredible i mean you, you obviously had the drive and the passion up front you you knew that um you know eventually you wanted to be out there working with wildlife so you 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 had your goal kind of set but then you went down the the law road and um did that um did that kind of 
end faster than you imagined because you you know this experience with a blue whale just set you on a course of okay it's now or never i've got to do this now this is not where i belong yeah that's exactly it i mean once it worked once i had this incredibly close eye-to-eye underwater encounter with a blue whale i thought you know for a number of reasons i thought wow i've really got to get out of the office and, 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 and really devote the rest of my life and the rest of my time to this kind of activity, to these kind of experiences for myself, but also to bring these kind of experiences to other people, whether it's through recording those and getting it out there, um, you know, to, to be broadcast or taking others with me uh, to be able to see these kind of incredible things. But, you know, part of the motivation was, you know, there's all these things out there that, that, people just aren't doing yet or that are very lightly um, broadcast or covered by others. And I thought, you know, the longer I sit in this chair and go to this office, the more these discoveries are going to get picked up by, by others. And, and maybe it's ego, but I, I, I thought I, I could be among the first to, to get in on these if I leave now, if I start dedicating the necessary time to being out there and doing it, not this you know, four or five weeks a year of vacation time, but really full time being out there trying to spend as much time, you know, doing these interesting, unique things, either, you know, tracking down blue whales wherever they may be found or, or, or killer whales or, you know, the these ocean creatures were particularly interesting to me because I think in part the ocean is still full of so much mystery and there's still places in the ocean and things to be seen in the ocean that someone like me who's Who's you know really a, a nobody? I mean, who am I? I'm a former lawyer. I'm not a marine biologist. I, I don't have my dad's not the the head of National Geographic. I don't I don't have any of these you know background things that would indicate I have some special expertise. But because the ocean is so vast and so little studied, even a guy like me can be out there having these incredible discoveries and bringing them out there to the world. So that was, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. It was now or never for me. And I just, after having that kind of experience, I thought, this is it. I, today's the day. I've got I've to put this plan into action that I've had in the back of my mind. It's going to go front, front burner now and, and make it happen. Yeah. I mean, and that's what makes it so exciting to hear that story, that you, you, know, you just knew there's an opportunity. Anyone could do this. It's out there. It's just, it takes time and effort and uh, an adventurous spirit to get out there and do it. And so you did that. You just took your camera. Tell me a bit more about the, um, the fact you were filming. Do, what was your, um, you, you were looking to maybe film to get it out somewhere, but you didn't really have any defined goals with that. So what were you doing with the footage when you had filmed it? No, that's that's right. I mean, the the first point was to have the experience myself, and uh, in fact, that first encounter was was a really amazing one. We had a, a, a blue whale coming right towards the boat. I I saw it coming. You know, it'd been a decade of going all over the world to to culminate in this this one encounter that that appeared to about to to happen. And so, as it was coming towards the boat, I slipped into the water, and and I had a camera with me. And, and I slipped in expecting to see a whale quite off in the distance and far away. And, and then, you know, it, I just wasn't prepared for the scale of it. And by the time I, I got it into view, it was, it was all I could see was whale. And, and so this, the, the whale came really close to me. And I was so caught up in the moment and so mesmerized that I didn't take a single picture or record anything as this whale passed me by. And, and you know, thankfully, uh, that whale was incredibly gracious because it turned a, a full 180 and came back and, 
and passed by a second time, and that gave me an opportunity to get some photographs and some uh, to document that occasion. Um, but that originally wasn't the goal. It was purely just to have the experience. And then uh, after having it, and, and, and I did get a couple of photographs of it, which I showed around, and then to see the impact that those had on on others, people... You know, with their eyes wide open, I, I can't believe these amazing images, and, and to see how, you know, it, it, it brought, you know, a tear to their eye to see how incredible these animals are, and then I really thought, you know, there's more here than just personal experience. There's an opportunity to to educate people, to show people things that they couldn't dream were possible, uh, and hopefully in that same vein to, to promote conservation. If people realize what's out there and they appreciate it and they see how amazing it is, you know, maybe they think twice about about throwing their trash on the ground or or, you know, maybe moving the shipping lanes if there's conflict with whales and and these kind of things. So, yeah, the motivation was was purely just personal experience first. And then after that, I realized, wait, there's a real opportunity here to to make a difference and to, to do some more incredible things than just for my for my own personal interest. So then it could have sort of grew from there. And uh yeah, it started with with showing images to friends, and then there was some some media interest uh, originally because I had a friend who was in the media, and then yeah, it's built a little bit from from there. And now um, yeah, I try to get the the video clips and footage out there as widely as possible because it just you know it's so inspiring for for myself and for other people. So the the big question is, you went from a guy who's in an office nine to five. You decide to give it up because your passion, your life's work is going to be out of the ocean, uh, filming, taking pictures, and just getting experience out there and enjoying the moment. To being a guy who now has his name in the end credits of Planet Earth 2, how on earth did this happen? You know, what what was the defining moment that made that happen? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it's funny how the world works. I... I, I made some footage in uh, in Norway back in 2014 of killer whales feeding and just for 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 pleasure I put a little video out on Vimeo that I thought you know five people would watch mostly uh, immediate family members and uh, lo and behold I got an email one day from from the team at, at Blue Planet 2 saying hey we, we saw your footage online um, we're really interested in it we had a team up there filming in the same time but but got different things from what you got and so you know if you're interested in in working together please contact us and you know i i had to to you know double do a double take and see wow this is this is uh, really you know the bbc sending me me messages and so i got back in touch with them immediately and uh you know we worked out an arrangement I, it was a funny conversation the first back and forth because uh they said, "Can you, you know, send us the raw files of this footage if you're if you're happy to have us use it?" And I said, "Yeah, hey, I'm happy to send it, but I'm currently in uh, Dominica you know, on a sperm whale expedition, and and so I can't send it now." And they said, "Oh, well, geez, we have sperm whales in our program. What uh, what are you filming there?" And, and and so then the conversation just led on from there, and it turned out I was already planning to be in places where they were needing footage from. And so I, I ended up going to Bristol and meeting with them. And then uh, we just worked out an arrangement to provide um, footage over the next couple of years, sometimes on expeditions that I was going to be on, sometimes on expeditions that they wanted to, to send me out on uh, to film. But yeah, it's it, it's fascinating. You know, no formal training, just a real passion, a, a love of, of animals first, and then uh, you know self-taught cameraman after that. And uh, 
you know, just being out there a lot of days and being in, in the right place uh, at the right time has, has yeah, led me from sitting at a desk reviewing contracts at 2 o'clock in the morning for publicly traded companies to, uh, yeah, working with uh, some really amazing blue-chip documentaries. Now, this has all led on to um, you having a documentary made about you and, you know, that your story and how, uh, how this all came about. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's amazing to me. There's a um, it's similar to how the, the BBC found me. There was a, a filmmaker, James Reed, who I hadn't met before, but when he got in touch with me, I, I, I looked him up, and he's done some really interesting work. He had a film win uh, Best in Show at Jackson Hole two years ago. Recently made a film on on chimps in Uganda that's been nominated for some awards, and, and so he contacted me and and said. I came about your story through the grapevine, this guy who was a corporate lawyer who, who gave it all up to, to basically track whales down around the world and, and now films them as well. There's a, real, there's a real story there that I think people might be interested in. Would you be interested in, in meeting and maybe discussing possibly making a, making a film about what you do and about your life? And, and so I, I was skeptical at first. I don't have a huge desire to, to, to be a, a, a TV star or, on, or, or even on the screen at all. But, uh, but yeah, it was quite convincing, and, and we met, and it just seemed like, yeah, if this is going to inspire people to maybe get out of the office, to, to follow their dreams, to find out what, what passions really drive them, then, yeah, it's worth doing. And, and so, yeah, so we're in discussions about that. We've got uh, some good interest in it. We put a nice trailer together. Well, well James did. And so... So yeah, I think we'll end up uh, making a nice either either single part or multi part series about sort of you know following your dreams, living your passions, and then being out there in in nature. And I hope uh, you know in some small way it inspires others to to take a step back maybe from their day to day life and think, hey, you know what do I really love? What really inspires me? I suspect for a lot of people it's not the job that they're doing every day um and so hopefully that you know inspires people to sort of take a look and and perhaps you know better their own lives and and maybe in some small way promote conservation as well when people see you know why i'm out there doing what i'm doing and and how beautiful nature can be hopefully it inspires uh you know some behavioral changes in people to appreciate that and and take better care of, of the earth and especially of, of the oceans now you you mentioned uh, your uh, whale experience in two thousand and fourteen. What what time scale are we looking at here? From from the moment you left your corporate job, to the moment uh, you know you were having you were out filming for the BBC for Planet Earth two and and having a documentary made about you. What what how long has that been? Uh, it's pretty short time frame. Only uh, yeah two and a half years or so. So it, it happened very quickly. Yeah, it was just. Uh, you know, first, first, just filming for passion, just for the joy of it, and and to be honest, you know, don't don't uh, don't broadcast this too widely. But a lot of times, when I have the the absolute best opportunities for wildlife encounters, I leave the camera behind. I just, uh, you know, we've had incredible whale interactions and dolphin interactions where I just thought this is so special. Taking the camera along is going to slow me down and perhaps impact the experience, and I'll, and I might see it through the viewfinder instead of instead of through my mask and 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 full on and so often i will just leave the camera behind and and jump in and so um it's still pretty amazing to me that the you know 50 percent of the time when i do bring the camera has been enough to uh to get some pretty nice footage that people are interested in and and um and yeah and then eventually might be interested in in making a film about living that kind of life so it's pretty pretty comp compressed time frame only a couple of years so j explain the uh the feeling of I, i've never 
dived with uh, with um, the blue whale, something I've always wanted to do. But um, I did get to dive uh, with a sardine run off the coast of Durban. And uh, I got to be in a bait ball and I uh, had 400 odd common dolphin around me and gannets dropping down from the sky and sharks below. And it was without doubt the most incredible experience of my life. Um, I wasn't quite expecting how spectacular <laughs> it was going to be when I was down there. And, um, and, but, you know, I find it incredible. Once you go underwater, once you leave the kind of terrestrial world and you go underwater and you find yourself in this blue um, abyss and these creatures just start coming out of that and, uh, and you know, interacting with you a lot of the time, explain the feeling that you're feeling inside you know what what it what it's feeling yeah well, yeah i mean it's it's you you got a a nice taste of it and the sardine run is one of these just incredible experiences where there's so much action from so many different directions that you know th your mind is used to being out of the water just can't really process everything that's happening all around you and, and sometimes it's days later before you feel like you can wrap your head around what the heck just happened That's out exactly there? Exactly. Yeah, uh, and and it's the same with, it's a it's a similar experience to get in to get in with a a really large whale like that, like a blue whale in particular, to just get in expecting what that scale is going to be, and then realize, whoa, this is something that my mind was just completely not prepared for. You know, I, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago there was all this rage of these these posters where if you stared at them long enough your your eyes would kind of gloss over and you would see the 3d elephant or or the the 3d thing in the poster and it would sort of your mind would have to do this rebalancing to understand exactly what it was seeing because you you thought it was something flat and then suddenly you see something that appears to be in in 3d and it's kind of that that sort of experience when you're you're underwater and you think, okay, I'm prepared for what I'm about to see. I I know kind of what it's going to look like, and then you get in and and your your eyes and your mind can't quite comprehend exactly what it is you're actually seeing because it's just so incredibly surreal and so much different than what anybody sees in their everyday life walking around. And so it's yeah, this really incredible, intense experience for most people, me included, and it and it sounds like you as well, where you just have to, to, to enjoy every amount of it in the moment and then take some time later to really process, holy cow, what what went on down there? What just happened? And I think uh, certainly when it comes to, to the underwater realm, you're already out of your element. You're already putting your body into a, a place where it's not used to spending most of its time. So, so you had all of those senses of being wet, of being underwater, of feeling some pressure, of the movement of the ocean and then combine it with these incredible things that your eyes just don't really know what to make of. Uh, yeah, it's really life-changing experience, and I think you obviously got a taste of that at, at the Sardine Run, where, you know, you, for some people like me, you, you, you get a little bit of that, and then you're addicted, and then you realize, wow, that, that felt so incredible. I just want more of that. Uh, and, and then it just pushes you to be out there more and, and, and seeking out more encounters and unique encounters, and then, you know, hopefully also appreciating those animals in their lives and let, who, who've given you this small window into their everyday life and how they live. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just really an incredible experience. 
I mean, it, it's moving, isn't it? it? It's it's not only kind of the adrenaline rush of being down there and, and, and being part of that action, or, or it might not be action, it might just be something like the Blue Well moving very slow, but it's a moving experience. I was moved at every moment I was down there to the point of exhaustion almost. I mean, you're exhausted <laughs> because, as you say, your mind can't quite compute what's going on. Okay, let's move on to gear. Um, what gear do you use and were you uh, did, were you kind of did you have to change any of the gear you were using to then go ahead and, and film for Planet Earth? Yeah, once I once I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to bring some equipment along to document what's happening. Um, you know, I started small. I started with GoPros, like a lot of people do, and then and then realized, wait, some of this stuff is so spectacular. You know, not necessarily even looking to sell it to anybody, but just it's so spectacular that. I want to document it properly. I want to document it in the best way that I can so that other people can experience as close to what I'm experiencing as possible. Then I made a choice, okay, let's let's look at what equipment is out there that I can take with me on all these expeditions. That was a big part of it. You know, I would love to travel everywhere I go with a with a red and a huge drone and and all of the proper uh, big blue chip film equipment. But a lot of times my expeditions are self-funded and I'm not necessarily f- going purely to film for, for a documentary. I'm, I'm filming mainly for my own gratification and to, to bring it into to other people's homes, either on Vimeo or, or through the computer. And then uh, so, so the other consideration for me was size. Uh, so right now what I picked up, I have a Sony A7S II, which films in, in 4K and can produce some very nice imagery in a Nauticam housing. Um, that mirrorless package, I actually traded in. I had a, a Canon 1DX um, SLR. When you put an SLR like that in an underwater housing, it gets it gets pretty big. And mirrorless, I think, have recently, just in the last two years perhaps, uh, made a quantum leap in quality where things you film with these mirrorless cameras, which are relatively small, are still good enough for even the biggest blue-chip documentaries to use them. Um, obviously, they would perhaps prefer something something off a bigger camera but when it's a choice between either getting the behavior on camera or or not getting it at all because the equipment is so big and and hard to push through the water you know those small mirrorless cameras are still acceptable even for the biggest documentaries and then i also do a lot of aerial film work um so i've had many drones over the years uh some some still reside at the bottom of the ocean because <laughs> right. i was uh, you know not as good of a pilot as i perhaps thought i was um, but now I, I recently moved down from uh, an Inspire 1 with an X5R camera on it to a Phantom 4 Pro that I use quite a bit. And a lot of people are surprised to hear that, that a, such a small camera like that on a Phantom is still also high enough quality to get even into the, the biggest documentaries. And the, the, the Phantom 4 Pro was a quantum leap for me because it, it films in 4K and at, and at 60 and 50 frames per second. So you can slow down the video, which often with jumping dolphins or lunging whales a little bit of slow motion is, is very helpful and so with those two pieces of gear for my non when I'm not you know being paid to be on a production uh, they're both quite small I can I can fit the Sony and the naughty cam housing in my bag quite easily and and travel with the the Phantom 4 with all the spare batteries and and bring it on a carry-on on an airplane um, so that's the gear that I use when I'm doing my my personal travels and both of those are, are, you know, not the absolute highest quality, but high enough quality and a small enough size that you can pack them and, and head all around the world with them and still get some really uh, excellent image quality out of them. Uh, and we should add there that um, I think with most productions, 
it it's about behavior it's about capturing something unique and a lot of the time uh you know blue planet or planet earth wouldn't be filmed entirely on those cameras but when it comes down to just using behavioral clips they will do that because of the fact it's unique it's unique stuff and um, i think there's a lot to be said about people going out with whatever gear they have to find unique behavior because that's really what sets footage apart right it's no you're absolutely right i think people sometimes get caught up in well if i don't have if I don't have a red weapon, there's no point in, in capturing it because it's not good enough for, for the best of the best. But, but what you say is absolutely right. Everybody would rather have the behavior than not have the behavior but have really high-quality footage. And so oftentimes, especially with the drones in, included, if you've got a, a drone flying a big camera that's got six minutes of flight time because it's such a high-quality setup your chances of filming behavior are fairly low. If you've got a smaller drone that's got 30 minutes of flight time, hands down, any producer will tell you, get the behavior on the camera first. Uh, don't worry so much about using the biggest, highest quality camera that's going to lower your chances of actually being able to get that behavior. Get the behavior and then you know get it on the highest quality camera you can but first of all get the behavior and so you know the 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 challenge with the smaller cameras of course is the the lower dynamic range so it just it makes you work a little bit harder as a filmmaker it makes you think a little bit more about the light and the conditions and not getting you know dark blacks and bright whites all in the same shot so you've got to work a little bit harder with your angles uh, to try to you know account for the fact that you've got a little bit lower dynamic range to work with compared to a bigger camera but if you're if you're diligent about it and you're careful with how you film and you're careful with your settings and you're aware of the fact that you have a limited dynamic range to work with you can still get amazing footage even with small cameras and and you're right if you you know the, the you'll sometimes see a behavioral sequence or an animal sequence and it'll be four minutes of of the grass blowing in the wind and the paws walking across the ground and then 10 seconds of the kill and if the kill wasn't filmed in the absolute highest quality a lot of times people they'll still use it because you get all that other stuff on the highest quality and then you know that absolute incredible behavior if it's great behavior most producers even at the biggest blue chips will take it even if it's shot on a small camera well and it comes down to storytelling right if you're doing good storytelling good visual storytelling then you're building up the emotions with those other images and when you see the behavioral stuff you're really not worried about image quality at this point it, it's set a, a standard and that's locked in in your in your mind you this is a great production and then you're moved by the behavioral stuff and and that's so important no that's it and, and often these these manic moments of incredible behavior the moment the, the the dolphin jumps out of the water or or the lion bites down on the neck or whatever it may be those are they're happening quite fast they're quite manic everything builds up to that so a lot of times people don't even notice i mean us as filmmakers probably notice but the general public just sees an incredible sequence with a kill or with a with an amazing moment and and it's you know the two of us would notice and a lot of people we work with would notice but most people just see wow that was an incredible sequence it's, it's only you know people in the industry who might say yeah well you could kind of see a little bit lower quality image quality at that two second moment and of course, it's important to get the best image quality you can, but the fact is a lot of the general public just isn't going to notice if it's cut right and the editing is done well. Uh, so again, yeah, it comes down to you know get that behavior, worry about the highest image quality second. 
So your um, your reasoning behind going from an Inspire with a really nice camera on it to a lower um, um, model of camera was that due to the the flight time? It absolutely was. It was due to, to two factors: the flight time, so uh, the battery life, uh, and then the portability. You know, a lot of times I'm in I'm in pretty remote locations, often flying off boats, uh, often flying off moving boats in rough sea conditions, and and a bigger drone is harder to get back on the boat and the lower battery life makes it much harder to get that behavior. Now, if I'm filming for a big production, I'll, I'll bring a big drone. We'll bring a, an octocopter and we'll fly a production model camera off of it and bring a bunch of batteries. But, you know, smaller filmmakers, independent films, uh, people like myself who are first and foremost out there for the experience, having a much smaller piece of kit that you can trek in anywhere uh, and that also gets 30 minutes of, of battery life uh, really makes a big difference. Yeah, it's a Two, twofold, battery life and portability both. So when you're on the bigger productions, you're pretty much just renting the gear that you need to, to set the standard for, you know, or to match the standard that's been set for that show. That's right, yeah. Usually I'll, I'll let the, the production make a decision. Uh, but even on some big productions, I, I still bring my personal equipment, and oftentimes I'll end up using my smaller personal gear and, and then have to explain to the producer, look, here's why. You know, we were trying to get this particular behavior. The octocopter had a shorter battery life, or it was louder, and the animals weren't weren't uh, cooperating well because of the sound and the noise and the size. And so this uh, this smaller drone, I know, you know, I'm sorry, it's not in 8K, but we got the behavior. Um, but normally on a big production, yeah, I let them make the decisions on what gear they they send out, and often it is much bigger, rented, more expensive equipment. Well, and also there's a lot to be said about having that smaller gear with you as backup because I've been on many a shoot where the bigger stuff has failed, you know, whether it's down to humidity or overheating or um, I, I've been on a shoot with an, that same Inspire with the X5 on there and, and it just wouldn't work. It, it wouldn't communicate <laughs> with the camera and we resorted to a Phantom 3. Um, but having the Phantom 3 there meant we got a shot that we wouldn't have got had we relied on, on the one thing. So there's always something to be said about carrying some backup gear. Um, so if you were to give, offer some advice to um, filmmakers who are looking to really film film footage that has the potential to be seen and put into a production i mean i think your story really resonates and stands out because you know you are you're really the epitome of what a lot of people hope is going to happen to them right they they hope they're going to be out there doing that and their their footage is going to be found and all of a sudden they're off in a career in wildlife filmmaking what advice would you share if you had to give some advice what would it be yeah, I think a lot of it is, is, is just the reason why that happened for me is because I was just passionate about being there in the first place. I wasn't in Norway, for example, to try to get amazing footage, to try to launch a career. I was there because I wanted to genuinely be there because I just thought it was awesome. And so that just genuine passion for it made me spend a lot more days there than I otherwise would have. And and so if you have something that you are just really passionate about, that's where your focus should start, I think, because then it doesn't feel like work to you and it doesn't feel like you're out there trying to trying to film something for any particular reason or production. You're there because you love it. And, and, and you may not notice it yourself, but when you're doing things because you love them and because you're really interested in them and you're really passionate about them, 
you do a great job. You spend more time there. It doesn't feel like work. You enjoy it. So yeah, my advice would be to you know pick a subject or, or pick things that you just really love. Whether it maybe it's maybe it's hiking in the mountains, whatever. You know, bring your cameras, and you're going to spend a lot of time doing it because you're passionate about it. And that's really you know where the the difference shines through, where people can see you know in, incredible footage. Often comes from people who are just incredibly passionate about being in that location or working with that animal anyway. I think that's so true. And I think there are many people here at the film festival whose whole careers have been built off the back of their passion. And so um, that, that is great advice. So Patrick, where, what, what next? What, what's in the future of, of Patrick over the next 12 to 24 months or so? Well, I, when I look at my calendar, I always keep a little uh, printed calendar and I have a highlighter that I mark off, okay, well, this week's dedicated to going here and this week's dedicated to going there. And, and I just pulled it out uh, the other day and so, wow, it's, uh, it's pretty full. Most of, most of 2017 into mid-2018 is marked off and, I, and I've got a, a combination of places that I just love going back to, places that I've been and I think you know, geez, I, I want to see some more blue whales. And so I'm going to dedicate, you know, March to just spending time with blue whales and being there. And so there are a handful of those. And there's a mix of places where I thought, you know, I don't know what's out there. I've, I've heard rumors. I've heard whispers. I've, I, I think that there might be a chance of seeing uh, whatever animal behavior it may be or whatever animals are, are out there. And, and so there's a, a combination of these, uh, you know, trips I've always wanted to do, but just somehow haven't found the time to get out there and do. And then a combination of just old, old, old gems that I love spending time and places that I just really want to be. And so, of course, I'll take my camera along on, on both and, uh, you know, hopefully continue to get some, some reasonably high quality footage. And then, uh, and then we'll see, I'm working with, uh, with a channel now on a, on a show that's, you know, hopefully going to follow me along on some of these journeys and, uh, Fingers crossed we continue to, to get lucky on some of these locations and get some amazing wildlife footage. And uh, even if we don't, you know, these are places I really want to be and places I want to spend my time. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a mix. But, um, yeah, some old gems and some, some new destinations on the calendar as well. So hopefully uh, I continue to have the energy to, to spend 300-plus days out there exploring and documenting and, and just enjoying the time. It sounds like the the filming for Planet Earth hasn't changed your passion for anything, and that's always going to be the first and foremost reason for you being out there, which is which is awesome. No, thanks a lot. Yeah, the 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 film work is sort of a uh, secondary. The the first part is just finding places that you're passionate about being, and 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 animals that you're passionate about spending time with. And then just yeah, putting in the time with those with those animals and in those locations, and you know, of course, I think if you continue, people continue to do that, you're going to get amazing footage and you're going to get shots that people really want to see because the, the passion really comes through in the work product. So is there a place that um, people can go online and see your work? Absolutely. Yeah, I have, um, I have a website that's pictureadventure.com and a Facebook page that's Picture Adventure Expeditions. And uh, if people are passionate about the same kind of things, if, if you're really into to whales and killer whales and sperm whales and blue whales and unique uh, whale encounters. I even offer uh, some opportunities for people to join me on these expeditions. I try to I try to vet fairly carefully and make sure there are people who are also uh, just out there for the love of it and for the joy and and you know without an agenda just to to be passionate about wildlife and spend time in these locations. And so I uh, yeah I take a few people along with me to a lot of these locations every year. So yeah I'd encourage people to go to PictureAdventure.com and and, and take a look. 
Well, fantastic. I will put um, links to both of those, your Facebook page and your website, on the masterwildlifefilmmaking.com episode page for this episode of the podcast. Patrick, a pleasure talking to you. Fantastic. I really appreciate it. It's um, great to hear inspiring stories on here. And and one like yours really stands apart um, because you exude the passion for for what you're doing and, uh, and continue to do. So thanks so much. Great. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series. You can find out more information on wildlife filmmaking at masterwildlifefilmmaking.com, where you'll find valuable free resources like downloadable reports and video tutorials. Thanks for listening.